Well, my name is Brad. If we haven't gotten a chance to meet yet, I'm the lead pastor and one of the teaching pastors here. And we are in week four of this series called Right in the Eye. And we've been talking uh, just about some stories throughout the book of Judges. And there are just some stories in here that, you know, we don't even like to talk about. Uh, Just some horrific things that actually happened in the life of Israel. And actually, there's this terrible story that we started off with. And at the end of the book, the very last verse is this is that in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And that the book ends. And there's no answers, there's no anything. It's just, that's just the way it is. And so we've been talking through this whole thing. And, and a few weeks ago, we talked about how, you know, we can kind of relate to this because we really like to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, with whom we want to do it. And it's just kind of our natural way that we, we do this. And, and so we got a couple more weeks left in, in this series. And we're going to talk about Samson today. And next week, Jordan's going to be back talking about Gideon. And, and this is just a period in Israel's time between Joshua, uh, when they moved into the promised land, and to, to the first king, Saul, where God wanted to set Israel apart to all the other nations. And, and he was going to be their king. And, and things just did not go well. And so he would send judges in, these military leaders that would, would go out and conquer other people and, and help them just help the Israelite nations try to follow God's law. And some of those judges were really good, and some of them were really, really, really bad. And they all had their own issues. And so it's just, it's just this time that, I, and again, I think that we can kind of relate to this. So, so Samson today, and it kind of starts as a, as, a, as a typical Bible story, if you remember back. And, and here's this couple who can't have children, and an angel appears to them and says, hey, you're going to have a child, and he's going to be set apart. He's going to be special. That God is going to use him in an amazing way. And, and what we want, the angel says, what we want you to do is, is have your son take a, a, a Nazarite vow. And a Nazarite vow was kind of unusual, is kind of an unusual thing, especially that young, because you normally took a Nazarite vow for yourselves. And it would last somewhere between 30, 60 days. Sometimes it would be up to a year. And it was just a, a way for you to set yourself apart and, and sanctify yourself to God and say, I'm going to, for this period of time, I'm going to take, and, and, and I'm not going to cut my hair and I'm not going to, to take any kind of grapes. I'm not going to eat grapes. I'm not going to drink wine. I'm not going to have raisins, and, which is kind of unusual, isn't it? And I'm not going to touch any dead bodies. So there was these, these kind of rituals that I'm going to set myself apart, and other people around you would know that you were set apart. But it was typically something that you would choose for yourself, and, and Samson didn't get to choose this for himself. The parents, and, and God said, I'm going to, we want you to live as this Nazarite vow for your entire life. And there's this unique parallel between Samson and the Israelite nation. As I said, God wanted to set the Israelite nation apart because they wanted a king. And he said, no, we're not, what we, I'm going to be your king. What we're going to do is we're going to show every other nation around here what it's like if you would just follow God's rule, the one true God. And Samson was supposed to be the very same thing, is that Samson was set apart where other people would say as an individual, look what God is doing through Samson. But it didn't really go very well for either of Israel or Samson. And just as Israel would do their own thing, Samson would do the very same thing. He just kind of lived for himself. And his downfall, honestly, was women and sex. It's the thing that actually ended up bringing him down to a, to a fall. And, and so there's this whole thing that we've been wrestling with through, through, this, through this series is that we just want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And we don't want anybody else to tell us what to do. And anybody that knows anything about, about following God or, or this way of Jesus, we know there's some guardrails, there's some, some parameters that God puts on us that says, if you would just live your life this way, it's going to go so much better for you. 
And, and we look at that, I think, in, in, our, in our culture and say, you know, well, there's, there's so many rules and regulations. And I really believe in our culture today, that's one of the things keeping people back from actually following Jesus. From looking at us and saying, you know what, there's a better way to live. And, and I, I just don't think that they say, you know what, there's just too many rules, there's too many regulations. I don't want to do all those kind of things. I just want to do what I want to do when I want to do it with whom I want to do it. And we're the same way. I know I am. There are so many times that I just want to do what I want to do. I want to, you know, I know what God's law is. I know what God's rules are. I know what he wants for, for me, but I just want to go about my own way. And, and I'm very good at this. My guess is some of you are the very same way is that you're very good at rationalizing this. You know that God wants you to go this way, but I'm thinking, I want to go this way. And so we rationalize how we act, what we're going to do, the choices that we make. We can even get to the point that we can actually find places in the Bible and we say, you know what, I can actually back up what I'm doing with Scripture. And it's a very dangerous place to be. And I know for myself that there's something deep down inside of me that keeps pulling at me and saying, no, this just is wrong and you know it's wrong. And, and, I, and my guess is that many of us have that same inclination, that same type of thing here. That our heart wants something else. And, you know, there's this whole line, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. And, and it brings us up to a, a very good question that I think that we have to wrestle to the ground today. It's something that we've got to just, just really battle in ourselves and ask, is this what's really happening or how do I fight this? And, and the question is this, what do you do when, <laughs> when you want to do what you know in your heart is wrong? What do you do when you know you, you, you want something so bad, you know that it's wrong, but in your heart you want it and you know that it's wrong, what do you do? What kind of decisions are you going to make? Are you going to follow God or are you going to follow your own self? Are you going to follow your own desires in all of this? And as I was processing this whole week, I, I, it, just, it was just something that kept nagging at me. Are you going to do it your way, Brad, or are you going to do it my way? And I look back in my life, and, and I think, you know, how many times have I just did it my way and tried to either rationalize it or, 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 or do it the way I want to do it instead of the way God wanted to do it? And so I was reading one of my version devotionals this week, and this verse came up. Uh, this is exactly, this is perfect for us. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24 says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. That is a piece of scripture that is very difficult to pray. Because what we're actually saying is, God, I know, you know, I want you to search my heart. I want to have your heart. I, I, I don't want to do things my way. I want to know what you want for my life. I want to know what your guardrails are, where your parameters are, and I'm going to live that way. It's very scary. Because we know that the things that we want that's in our heart are sometimes and many times contrary to what God has in store for us. What is the best for us, what God is, is challenging us to go what he actually wants for our lives. And how we answer this, how we pray this is that, God, I want my heart to be in line with yours. It will determine the way, the course of our lives, either good or bad. And, and, and if we allow God to come inside of us and say, check my heart and just let me do what you want to do, if we surrender that to him, it changes us from the inside out. And when we have those cases that, you know, I want to do something contrary to God, there's something inside of us that starts moving, and we have God's heart, and we start moving in the direction that God wants us. And we can say no to those things that are pulling us out into culture. We can say no to those things that, that we know that trips us up. 
And so today, Samson, and I think we're going to find that we have some things in common with Samson. And as I was studying this, it was honestly, you know, I, I remember this story way back, you know, from Sunday school lessons and, and all kinds of things. And, and it was fascinating to me re-entering re into this story and remembering everything that has actually happened. Because I think in Sunday school, we only get about this piece of it. And, and there were some, some uh, scholars that were talking about this. And, and I remember back in Sunday school days, I would see these pictures of Samson. He was this big old bulky guy, kind of like Jake, you know, because he works out, you know. And... and and they were saying, you know, they think that Samson was this unassuming kind of scrawny little guy, this short little guy, much more like Jordan. <laughs> and, yeah, and he's gone today, so, you know, I can throw him under the bus. Sorry, Marissa, I, just can't, I couldn't help it, you know. But they said, you know, he's probably just unassuming. You wouldn't expect him to be strong. You wouldn't be, expect him to knock down buildings and do all these amazing things of strength because he was just this little guy. And I thought, it changed kind of my picture of, of what I had of Samson because I had, you know, the old flannel graph thing of, of this big old strong guy. So, Samson, here we go. We'll get back on track. Judges 14, verse 1. One day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. And that's an interesting thing with, with our whole, you know, right in the eye. It's, it's an interesting concept, isn't it? Interesting phrase that they, they use here. And actually, he's in Timnah. And here's the deal is that Samson is a border guard for Israel. And he, and he knows better than being Timnah because Timnah is, is a place where there's all kinds of Philistines. So here he is. He's in a place that he, is not, he does not belong, that he shouldn't be there. And he sees something that catches his eye. And how many times is that the way it starts for us in our downfalls? That we are in a place that we know that we really shouldn't be. That we're in a place that, that you know that is going to cause us to stumble. It's going to cause us to be tripped up. It may be a bar. It, it, it may be some kind of party. It may be around our, 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 our wrong kind of group of friends, but we know we're in a place that could be dangerous for us. Maybe it's home alone with a computer that's there. There's all kinds of areas that we know that, that if we're not careful, there's these places that we're going to be that could trip us up, could start us down a path that is not healthy for us. And that's exactly where Samson is. Verse 2, when he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her, get her for me. <laughs> Which, first of all, you're starting to think, you know, he's going to his parents, and, and he's being disrespectful from, from there. And again, it's this, this whole thing, it's, it's right in his eyes. I, I saw something that I want, and I want it, so go get it for me. And, and what it is is he wants to marry outside of, of God's, I won't say command, but out of God's will for him. In Deuteronomy 7, it's, it's laid out that, that you, sh you should marry with inside the Israelite nation. But he sees a Philistine woman that he wants to, be, wants to have as his wife. And I want you to understand, this is not a racial type of thing, that God is not separating people by races or anything. All he's saying in Deuteronomy 7 is it's going to go so much better for you if you marry within your own values, if you marry within the own, your own system, because if you go marry outside of someone who has different gods than me, you're going to eventually fade away from me and you're going to follow these other gods. And that's exactly what happened in all of Israel's history. They let the culture around them surround them and they, and they wouldn't separate themselves from the culture that's there. And so that's exactly what Samson's doing. And all the time when we do premarital counseling and before we marry somebody, it's, this is one of the things that we talk about. You know, even in, in the New Testament, and Paul talks about it in, in 2 Corinthians uh, 6, where we shouldn't be unequally yoked. And we, we talk through people of, of you know, you got to have the same value systems. you got to have the same thing. It just goes so much better. And we can tell you that, 
that relationships and marriages that are based in, in, and when people have different value systems, have different ways of worship, it just doesn't go very well. And that's exactly where Samson is heading into. Verse 3, his father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites that you could marry? They asked. Why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? And we see this word pagan Philistines and we think, ooh, that's kind of harsh. But basically all, all they are saying is that this irreligious people, that they don't follow the same God that we have. They don't know the one true God and they're gonna lead you astray. But Samson told his father, get here for me. She looks good to me. You can start seeing already what Samson is all about, can't you? You can start seeing that Samson is not following exactly where, where God had have him intended after he's taken this Nazarite vow. And this whole last line that he just says in there is almost exactly what, she looks good to me. It's, it's right in my own eyes. It's almost the same type of translation here. So Samson goes and, and they get this woman for him and they, they don't get married in Israel. They go back down to Timnah to her church and they get married in her church with all their gods and things like that and things just don't go very well. You can read the story for yourself. It's kind of a sordid thing and Samson actually ends up murdering like 30 people and it gets all kinds of weird. The story is, is, is weird. <laughs> and, and then Samson decides, you know what, I'm just gonna go back to Israel and he goes back to Israel and leaves his wife there and the, his father-in-law thinks that Samson's gone for good, so he takes Samson's wife, and he marries her off to Samson's best man. And it's just strange. And, and again, there's all this deceit and all this murder and things go on, and it ends up that the Philistines hate Samson, and Samson hates the Philistines, and they take the, Samson's wife and his father-in-law, and they actually burn them alive. Did you hear that story in Sunday school, you know? Was that on the final graph anywhere? No, it's, you know, it's just... It's just a weird story, and, and it gets worse from there. And eventually, Samson actually ends up going to another town and, and, and sleeping with a prostitute, and has a prostitute, and, and the Philistines are around. They're going to try to capture him, but God once again gives him strength, and he, and he gets his way out of that whole situation. And now we get to the story that we actually probably know. This is the one that you did learn in, in Sunday school, and it was on the, the flannel graph. So the young kids are saying, I have no idea what a flannel graph is, no clue whatsoever. <laughs> it's okay. But Samson finally falls in love with, anyone? Delilah, exactly, exactly. And we all know it doesn't go very well, does it? You know, if you know the story at all, it, it, it doesn't end very well for Samson here. But this is it, man. He is in love this time. And you look back at his relationships and things that he's done, and you think, you know, man, seriously, Samson? And here you're going, going in again into an area that you're not supposed to do, and you're picking out another Philistine wife. And you wonder, how can anyone be so enamored and, and with women and, and so wanting sex that, that he makes these bad decisions time and time again? Can men really be that stupid? Resounding yes from the front row. And my wife's over here saying, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's just true, isn't it? It's just, it, let's just admit, guys, let's just admit it. You know what? We are simple creatures. We, we are not complicated to understand. You may think that your wives and women are, are complicated, you know, they have, but we are pretty basic. We're pretty ba simple. It's very easy to manipulate us. It's very easy for, for you know, to say, do this, and, and we're going to do it because there's three things that we're interested in. Food, sex, 
and attaboys, okay? Every once in a while, an attaboy, yeah, you did a good job there. You know, food, we kind of like, and, and sex, obviously. And, and you know what? If you forced us to pick one of those three, I think you all know what we would pick. And that's the same with Samson. We're just simple creatures, and it doesn't take much. We get out of focus in a, in a really quick hurry when it comes to those three things. And ladies, you may think that's funny, but you know what? There's, there's, there's some things in here for you too because, you know, to be able to get those three things, a lot of times we will, when we're dating or, or whatever, we will say just about anything to be able to get one of those three things, particularly one of them, okay? And you're naive enough to actually believe some of the lines that we have, okay? And, and so we're all in this boat together, isn't it? There's this whole mess up thing that in a relationship that gets really, really complicated, as a matter of fact, guys, you get this because if you have daughters, you know what it's like because you know what's going through these boys' minds. <laughs> and it's why that you never get chosen to go pick out the prom dress because if you picked out the prom dress, it would be long and burlap. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know? Or when the date comes over to arrive, you just happen to be in the living room by the front door cleaning your gun, okay? You know what's on these guys' minds, I remember growing up, when our girls were little, I taught them a, very, a line at, when they were very young. It was, boys are bad, throw rocks at them, okay? And that's how it started. All through when they were growing up, it was all the way through high school, they would bring their friends over, and I'd get all their little girlfriends over together and say, okay, I want to teach you something. This is going to be very valuable for you for the rest of your life, is boys are bad, throw rocks at them. Repeat after me, boys are bad, throw rocks at them. It's just the truth. It's the way we started. As a matter of fact, I remember Courtney being in college, and she'd bring some, some of the girls, and the first thing they'd all say coming in the door, boys are bad, throw rocks at them. <laughs> they weren't believing it anymore by that time, but they knew that, you know, and I hope that I put something inside of them right there, you know? It's just the way we happen to be wired, and some of the guys are pushing back right now, you know? Or maybe you ladies are thinking, well, my guy's not like that. <laughs> or you started dating thinking that, you know what, I can fix him. We really can't be fixed. I'm just saying Bart's been trying for 30 years now. But anyway, it's just, you know, relationships are tough and they're hard. And, and this whole mess, especially in the culture we're living now with, with, with boys and girls and teens and, and what have you. And, and I can remember when the girls um, were, were growing up and they started dating and, and there was nobody ever good enough for them to date. And, and even to the point of, of, of when they both got married, I say nobody was good enough, and, and that includes Trevor, okay? And, and so, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't feel sorry for Trevor. Don't do that. <laughs> but it is, it's just, it's just one of those things that we, we, have, we wanted this protection for our girls. And then we have three boys, and, and you know, we, we were just happy that someone would even date them, you know? They actually started putting on deodorant and things like that. It was awesome for us, but we were just hoping, would someone please marry them? Because, and it's just, you know, it's just this weird whole kind of things. But there's something special about sex. There's something special about marriage. And, and we just believe that, that God's plan for us as, as believers, as followers of Christ, the parameters he has, the guardrails that he puts out there, is that sex within marriage, an intimate relationship, is the best way to do life. In a marriage with the same values, chasing the same God, pursuing Jesus with all of our hearts, that when you, you do that and the intimacy and the sex inside of that, that kind of relationship is the best way to live. We believe that wholeheartedly here. And you may be thinking, oh, I don't really know about that, Brad. You know, you're old. 
you're old-fashioned. You know, that was a whole different era that you grew up in and things. And I'm just telling you that I believe wholeheartedly. And I had this conversation with Jordan this week, and he said, you can tell them that I believe it too, man. This is one of his hot buttons as he's dealing with the culture that we're in and the generations that we're in, that, that this is the best way for us to live. And the pushbacks we hear all the time is, well, you, you know, you wouldn't buy a car without a test drive first. <laughs> or, or you know, uh, you know, we hear this as, well, we're married in God's eyes. Or I don't need a piece of paper to make it all legitimate. And, and we wouldn't feel this way if God didn't, you know, expect us or, 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 or think that we were, we were okay. And we make all kinds of rationalizations. We make all kinds of of excuses of, of why we're doing what we are doing and how we are living. But I'm telling you that we just believe that there is the sanctity of sex, the sexuality in, in us that we all have, that we all, we have these, these desires that God has put us in. There's nothing to be ashamed of, but it, there's a proper place for those. And we believe it is in encompassing a marriage relationship. Judges 16.4 as we go on with the story. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the Valley of Sorek, again, a Philistine area. But he's convinced this time is real. This, he's convinced that, you know, all the other things in the past, I, I, is, it's going to be the real deal this time. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, entice Samson, I love that word, Entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Some translations actually take that, that word entice and, and say lure. And if you understand, you know, if you're a fisherman, which I am not, you know, there's this fancy little thing that goes in the water and, and the fish sees it and, and they think, oh, that looks really good to me. And as soon as you take a bite out of it, it's got you hooked. And it's not the way to live. I love that. Entice. So Delilah said to Samson, this, this next verse, I struggled with this week. Verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me what makes you so strong and what it would take to tie you up securely. <laughs> Are we really that stupid? Men? Yes. Resounding yes again. I looked at this and I, and I, I struggled with this verse. I said there's one or two options here, Okay. Either, yes, we are that stupid, or Delilah has timed this question in a time when we're doing one of those three things, and you know what? We're willing to say just about anything to continue. You know what I'm saying? And my guess is it's the latter, that she is enticing him, she is luring him, and it's in the middle of one of these romantic pre interludes that, that she asks this question. And Samson replied, if I were tied up with seven new bowstrings that have not yet been dried, I would become as weak as anyone else. <laughs> oh, Samson. So the Philistine rulers brought Delilah seven new bowstrings, and she tied Samson up with them. She had hidden some men in one of the inner rooms of her house. That's weird. And she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But Samson snapped the bowstrings as a piece of string snaps when it burn, is burned by a fire. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Now, my guess is that if this was any one of us, that we would be smart enough to realize there's something going on here. I'm not sure I'm trusting the integrity of this person anymore. Delilah may not be who I think that she actually is, but not Samson. 
Verse 10, afterward Delilah said to him, you've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now please tell me how you can be tied up securely. Seriously, Samson? Samson replied, if I were tied up with brand new ropes that had never been used, I would become as weak as anyone else. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him up with them. The men were hiding in the inner room as before. Now let's just stop right there. Guys, if this happened, wouldn't you go check the doors first? I mean, wouldn't you go into the rest of the room and say, you know, it's happened once, maybe again. You know, she's asked me again. No? Okay. And again, Delilah cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. But again, Samson snapped the ropes (laughs) from his arms as if they were thread. Then Delilah said, you've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now tell me how you can be tied up securely. And Samson replied, if you were to weave the seven braids of my hair into the fabric on your loom and tighten it with a loom shuttle, I would become as weak as anyone else. And you can see that Samson is starting to break down. He's getting closer and closer to the truth. And guess what happens? <laughs> he does it. That's exactly what happens. And she it's just craziness. And the Philistines come out, and he breaks free and, and takes care of them. We get to first, verse 15. Then Delilah pouted, how can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me three times now, and you still haven't told me what makes you strong. And Delilah is about to bring out secret weapon number two. And she goes on. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. When sex doesn't work, Bring out the nagging, because that is sure to work, you know? And here we are. And it's about to get ugly. Finally, Samson shared a secret with her. My hair has never been cut, he confessed, for I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as anybody else. And think about that for a minute. God has set him apart from birth. He had him take this Nazarite vow. He had amazing plans for Samson. Samson was supposed to be the one who showed everybody else that if I live for God, I'm going to show the world there is one true God. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to be able to impact lives like never before. But if I get my hair cut, I'm going to be like everybody else, as normal as anyone, not used by God anymore. And Delilah cuts his hair. Verse 20, then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. This is where it gets really interesting, and this really stuck out to me this week. When he woke up, here's what he thought. I will do as before and shake myself free. He thought it was going to be like every other time, that God is still going to be with me. My strength is going to be there. I'm going to be able to get out of it because I can rely on God. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. It's as we've been talking about that time after time after time, Israel would disobey and disobey and disaster would happen and they'd come back to God and they would disobey and God would finally say, you know, if that's what you want, there. And he would hand Israel over, Israel, the Israelite nation over to their enemies. You know, if you want to do it your way, Samson, I have no other choice. You have free will. Then there you go. Go ahead and live your life the way you want to live it. It's not going to go well, but there it is. See, I set you apart. You have special gifts. You are unique. I knew you from the womb. 
I want to have that kind of relationship with you. I want to have that, that, that strong sense of, of relationship with you. But you are choosing something else time and time again. And now I have to let it go. I need to let you do what you need to do. Verse 21. So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes, which I think is interesting because his eyes are what got him in trouble all the time. They took him to Gaza where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. It just shows you what untamed sin does in our lives, especially when it comes around sex. And he ends up losing his freedom. The one thing that we all want, we talked about this at the very beginning of the series, about how we want that kind of freedom, and freedom is found only in God. And we try to find it in other areas in the culture. It always ends up that we are slaves to something. And here is Samson, slaves again. Because he adopted the culture around him, he adopted the culture of, of, of sexuality that he saw so prevalent in the Philistine nation. And it ruined him. I was reading this article, and I just want to read you a part of this article this week. I thought it was brilliant the way he, this, this author said this. Here's what he says. If Samson believed God would be faithful to his word, but Samson didn't believe he needed to be faithful to God's word. He trusted God to empower his gifting, but he didn't trust God to satisfy his appetites. So he disobeyed God and indulged sin. He was already blind when the Philistines finally got to him. That was sobering to me of what sin can do in our lives, especially in the areas of our sexuality that if we're not careful, it will take us down a road that we don't want to be in, even though it seems right to us. God's parameters are there for a reason. And see, the thing about Samson was he wasn't all in. He had God's anointing. He has God's promises over here, and he played the game that so many of us, including myself, have played is that, you know, I want enough of God over here that I'm okay. I want enough of God over here that, that things, things are going okay. And, and, and when I need him, he can, my strength comes and I can, I can get out of the jams that I'm in. But I don't really want to give everything over to him. And with Samson, it was all about the sex and these women. You know, I want this part of myself, but I, I, I want this, but I still want this. And he wasn't all in. He wasn't surrendered. And we all play that game in areas of our lives. It may not be sex. It may be something else. But it ends up ruining us. See, I believe you have no idea what kind of a warrior you are. God had set apart Samson for a specific purpose to show the world what one true God can do in someone's life. And you are the same way. That he has wired you uniquely. He has got something. It says in Ephesians 2.10 2, that, man, you are a masterpiece. You are wonderfully made. That God has amazing plans that he, he, he planned long ago for you to fulfill. And we can derail all those plans just like Samson derailed all those plans if we're not careful. If we don't watch where we are, where we're heading, who we're, who we're associating with, the things that we are letting the culture creep into us, you can do something amazing for God if you allow him into every area of your life, if you surrender everything to him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up and in a little bit we're going to take communion but there's again I, 
I think there's this pushback for, for many of us. And you think, okay, Brad, this is an Old Testament story. We're in the New Covenant. Times are different. You know, it, again, it's a different era. That's, you just don't understand what's happening around us today. And so I want to take you to a piece of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting with verse 12. And this is Paul speaking. And I believe it is so relevant to us today that we have got to get back to this in our lives. And here's what Paul says. You say, I'm allowed to do anything. We are free in Christ. It's the kind of freedom that we live for. I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. And I, I go back to this verse so many times in all areas of my life. Am I a slave to anything? But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. When we are when you're united with, with, with God, with Christ, through Jesus, for what he, he, the, the, what he paid for us on the cross, we are one with him. And what we do with our bodies, especially in the sexual realms, is so important. Verse 18, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? This next line, you do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body it's so easy for us to take lightly this whole sexuality thing in the day and age that we live in in the culture that we live in I don't care whether you're young or you're old there's something unique there's something special there's something intimate about it how God has designed it it's a gift from God and we dare not abuse it and what it takes is us to surrender our lives wholly to him including this area of our sexuality and maybe that's something that God has been impressing upon you even today is that you need to be sold out in every area of your life and you can do that right now you can surrender you can tell God right from where you're sitting that I want to surrender this area of my life my sexuality to you if that's what you're struggling with and maybe that's not it. Maybe it's one of the little kings, the little other things that we've talked about earlier. Lust, pride, envy, greed, arrogance. All these things that keep us from being who God has created us to do, be to, to be able to fulfill the plans that he has for each and every one of us. You are key to what he wants to accomplish in this world. 
and sin is holding us back. I just want to give us a moment before we take communion. If there's something in your life that you need to turn over and relinquish to God, would you do it right now? And here's what I want you also to understand. There may be some of you, me included, that we look at our past and we say, man, I have really messed this whole thing up. That I haven't honored God with my body. I've done things that I'm ashamed of. I've done things that I realize now is wrong. And I want you to understand that there is grace. Even Samson comes back at the very end and God empowers him again to do something amazing and mighty for him. And you are not finished. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what your past says, and the enemy is probably whispering in your ear, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. You are. And grace is available and you can be forgiven and God will take everything in your past and put it as far as the east is from the west and forgive you. That's what this communion is all about. We are celebrating that fact that even though Israel and judges time and time again disobeyed, disaster happened, and God delivered. And finally, for the last time, God sends Jesus to deliver us once and for all. We don't have to be a slave to all of that ever again. And that's the backdrop of what we're going to take communion with today. As we get closer to this Easter season where we celebrate all of this, the picture of Jesus knowing that he only has a few days to live. And I wonder what we would do if you and I only knew we had a few days to live. We'd probably go out and try to do some of the bucket lists and things. And what did Jesus do? He wraps a towel around his waist and he washes his disciples' feet. He serves. He wanted so badly to them to understand. And he knew they weren't going to even understand that night. But in a few days, it would all come and make sense to them. And so that night in the, last, in the Last Supper in that upper room, they're having this meal and he's got his closest people around him and, and even one who's going to betray him that he still loves. You want to get your communion out and take the wafer out. And here is Jesus with, with all these people around and, and he looks at them and, and his heart probably breaks for them and he loves them so much and knowing they're not going to understand what is about to happen. And he takes this bread and says, I want you to remember. I want, to, I, I want you to remember this is my body that will be broken for you in just a few days. So let's take the bread together. And the story goes, the scripture tells us that Jesus then took the wine and he said, this is my blood. It's going to be spilled for each and every one. For all of us today that sits here thousands of years later with all the wrong in our past, when we confess our sins, this is what is able, the cross, to take them away from us. And he said, do this in remembrance, drink. Father, we are so grateful. we're a mess and we know it 
but you will come and deliver us time and time again. And I just pray, God, no matter where we sit today, no matter what it is, no matter what one of these things, whether you're speaking to us about our sex and sexuality or, or any of these other things that we put in place of you that we want to hold on to for ourselves instead of following you. God, I just pray that you give us the courage to live for you. Father, if there's anybody in here today that just thinks that I've done too much, my past is too sordid, would you just whisper in their ears, no, it's not. Come running back to me. Let grace fill this place. Let us be people of grace. Let us be people who show the world who you are. And we will praise you for it. It's in the amazing, mighty, precious name of Jesus that we pray.